The Glory Girls springboard themselves into the top four. More COVID chaos for the Perth Glory men's team. The Matildas in absolute disarray. And the Socceroos try to keep their World Cup dreams alive. This is the Weekly Wrap presented by the Far Post Perth Podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Weekly Wrap, presented by the Far Post Perth Podcast. The first one for 2022. It's been happening over the holidays. Hopefully the new year finds you all well, no matter where you're listening. Let us know. Jump on the socials. Always keep in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter, of course. The Far Post Perth. My name's Blaine Treadgold. Going to be your host tonight, but... Going to be very, very good to be back in the chair and uh, chatting to this next man about everything football. Plenty happening both home and abroad. Evening, Tommy Dolman. Hey, Blaine. Good to see you. Been a little while. It has. It has, mate. Uh, first of all, holidays, summertime. Been enjoying it? Yeah, pretty good. Good to have a break. Good to freshen up. Obviously, been keeping tabs across all the football. It never stops, does it? As we all know, it's a... It's very much a 12-month-a-year sport now, football, that we follow across, but also good to see that you've been working on your, your tan across the holiday period as well, Blaine, looking very fresh. Oh, there we go, there we go. Uh, you say it doesn't stop, but it has been very stop-start, uh, particularly across the A-League and across the A-League women's competitions. So uh, we're going to do our best to kind of... We won't harp on what's happened since our last, I guess, show, um, but we will have a bit of a look over the last couple of weeks um, where the two Perth Glory sides are at at the moment, and uh, we'll also uh, come out of this big week. It's a big international week, of course. The Matildas, absolutely disastrous for the Matildas, getting knocked out very early, um, in many people's minds, of that Asian Cup. We'll also chat a little bit of Socceroos uh, later on. Let's keep it very, very local, though, Tommy. Uh, Last night, this being, of course, recorded on a Tuesday, it was a strange Monday night fixture. It had been moved a couple of times. That was the Perth Glory women's fixture against Wellington. Going into this one, it was certainly one that we would have chalked up for a win, although it was touch and go there for a while. Yeah, it was. Um, I suppose we'll come on to the glory um, shortly, but I suppose a little bit of a, a word for Wellington, who I think I said on the socials, I think their improvement's definitely tangible since obviously the, the first game of the season, given that it is their inaugural season. And they certainly gave glory a fright last night. They obviously went 2-1 up, and I'm, I'm sure from their point of view, that first win um, isn't too far around the corner. I thought Alyssa Wynnum and, and Mackenzie Barry in particular were really good for the Phoenix. And it was a bit of a surprise when uh, Wynnum went off. And that was arguably the, the turning point of the game as Glory came back to get the two goals and, and win 3-2. Uh, yeah, it was kind of that first half was probably 50-50. We didn't see the best of the Glory, I didn't think. Um, but the second half and... Uh, they actually found themselves down at 2-1 at half time, which was strange. And you've got a feel for Morgan Aquino, who just had a bit of a brain fart. I think she'd admit herself. It was just a little bit kind of just lazy on the ball. Uh, probably wasn't in the right frame of mind. She she just got absolutely uh, nabbed with the ball. And uh, I'm not too sure which player it was. You might be able to tell me. But uh, did it stole the ball, put it in the back of the net and saw the Perth Glory go in 2-1 behind at half time. 
Yeah, and, and, and Morgan's obviously an excellent keeper and, and goalkeepers are prone to these these moments from time to time. Sometimes it's just a, a heavy touch or a slight lapse in competition in concentration, sorry. But but Morgan's been excellent for the glory all season and I've got no doubt she'll she'll bounce back and she'll be she'll be really good for the glory as this as this season sort of draws ever closer. Um yeah, I think it was, uh, and I sort of, I suppose we'll bundle the the win the week before against the Wanderers as well into this conversation as well. But but these have been two very character filled wins for me, and I think it just underlines his emphasis and emphasizes the great job that Alex Apakis has done really since he's since he's um, well since obviously last season was a bit of bit difficult. It was a bit of a write off, but this season in particular, since that very first game which we saw at Macedonia Park, which seems like an eternity ago now. You could see that he was trying to play with a plan. You could see that he was trying... You could see what he was trying to do on the pitch with this team. He's got a really nice blend, some really experienced players, the likes of Tash Rigby, uh, Kim Carroll as well, obviously, uh, Mia Lethians as well, and Morgan Aquino, who's also played A-League with Brisbane and the Glory previously, and some and some really good young players as well uh, who are on the pitch also. So um, there's a really nice blend there, and once again, another, another fighting performance from the Glory, and that's now obviously two wins in a row. It's one defeat in five, and they find themselves in the top four, and and with a really good chance of, of getting into those playoff spots. Um, it's a tremendous turnaround, and there's a there's a whole heap of resilience there. I actually spoke to Alex this morning on on my program um, on Sport FM, and uh, I think that's what he's just applauding at the moment is the fact that hey, the result like the performances aren't 100 there yet. But the thing is, is that these girls just bust their nut to try and make sure they're getting us close to under some really difficult situa- circumstances. Obviously, the mental toll of being away from home for this prolonged period. There's been COVID. There's been injuries. Uh, we'll get onto the injuries in a second. Um, but I think that's something that we've really got to tip our lids to. I think I think the blend's just been, been very good. Mm. Um, I, I touched on it with the experienced players and the young players before, but we, we, we saw, obviously... Um, Demi Kulzakis come off the bench last night and she was really good when she came on I thought she she was a real presence up the pointy end of the pitch she was really industrious I thought Syra Hinson um, obviously the American um, player she came off the bench she had a similarly good impact as well and, and I think um, one of the things that we've spoken about previously on the podcast as well obviously the likes of Alana Jansevsky who's mm. who's impressed us definitely um, in particular in the first month of the campaign um, but obviously we saw Sophia Sakalis get on the score sheet last night which is very positive we spoke of Lisa Devanner and the impact that she has as well almost that pressing from the front that leadership and, and she almost brings the rest of the team and in particular those young players along with her as well so the blend's all very good all the pieces are coming together nicely and and, and look, they've got um, they're, they're one point behind third place Adelaide now in the standings, I believe. They've got um, a game against winless Canberra coming up uh, next, and then they've got three pretty tough games. I think they've got um, Sydney FC and Melbourne City um, across the next three games after that. So there are greater challenges ahead for the Glory, but there are some really encouraging signs. And I think it's just going to be key to to get that win against Canberra next time out. If you can get that, you give yourself that little bit of a break, that little bit of a buffer uh, in that fourth place or that third place if you can sneak into that p- position. And then you give yourselves a real opportunity to test yourselves against the likes of Melbourne City and Sydney FC who are currently 
uh, two of the top three teams, or, or indeed, I think they are actually the top two in the standings at the moment. Yeah, Melbourne City, this is the way it looks at the moment. We know how uh, this fixturing can be quite fluid, but Melbourne City uh, after Canberra, Melbourne victory and Sydney FC. So to just go back and uh, just confirm uh, where they, those places are on the on the table, Sydney FC leading the way on 22 points, Melbourne City on 18, Adelaide United on 15, a Perth Glory on four. So some very winnable matches against Canberra United. The big test is going to be Melbourne victory, I think, to see if they're there or thereabouts and where they actually fit into the four, um, which is going to be, yeah, super interesting in, in that regard as well. And, and we should say the victory do have a couple of games in hand on the glory mm. as well, I believe. And and like you said, that's going to be a bit of a six-pointer when that game does come around in a couple of weeks' time. So there's still plenty to play out in the, in the women's season. Uh, I believe it's 14 rounds and the glory have played eight games. Games. They've still got um, shy of half of their campaign to play with some challenges ahead. But as we've touched on before, the improvement from last season to this under Alex has been magnificent. And, and long may it continue uh, for us fans of the Glory Girls, that's for sure. Yeah, um, and he, that's what he said to us after the season was done. He said, look, we know this season's a bit of a write-off. It didn't happen under very good circumstances. We're going to have to learn from it, move on. Um, and he promised the fans, I was lucky enough, and we've spoken about this before, I was lucky enough to see Alex and have, have Alex interact with the fans. And he said, look, what do you guys want to see? This is what we're building on. We just want you to get behind us. And uh, and they have. And it's just a bit disappointing um, that we can't see him play at home. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I think that's the that's the one negative and that's obviously completely out of out of the glory's hands, unfortunately, given the, uh, the current border situation. But given the way that that, Round one game against Brisbane ended with the late comeback, with the crowd under the under the roof at Macedonia Park. We were both there. It was loud. It was exciting. Um, the atmosphere was magnificent, and I genuinely think that a lot of people left that game and possibly craving more. Mm. They they were craving more of that experience under the lights on a Saturday night at Macedonia Park, and uh, and unfortunately that and, and unfortunately. People have not been able to come back and experience that and and get behind the girls again. But I'm sure that uh, hopefully if the circumstances are able to change before seasons end and the glory can get back for a game, that that they'll come out in full force again, that's for sure. Um, One thing that has to be mentioned is there was a sour note and that was the um, wrist, broken wrist to Gemma Crane. Now, the word is um, that she had to have surgery on a broken wrist this morning, being uh, Tuesday morning over there east. um, And, yeah, it's just a waiting game now for for that recovery. So... Mm. Not the greatest of luck for Gemma Crane. She obviously had a season-ending injury last season. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, just uh, again, so you do feel for her. It's a heartbreaker. Mm. It's an absolute heartbreaker. She's such a talented player. I've seen a lot of her over the past um, couple of seasons, in particular MPLW level. And, and she lights up the game. And, and you saw her last night when she, she came off the bench, the, the way that she carries the ball and the way that she she loves driving forward with it as well. Her instinct is always to look forward, and and that's something that really benefits the team um, when you're trying to get that momentum in a game. The Glory were trailing 2-1. They were trying to arrest that tide a little bit and get back into it, and Gemma was definitely um, a massive player in swinging that tide around, even if it didn't necessarily factor into a, a goal or an assist. But, um, yeah, I, I was there last season when she, when she did... Um, have that season-ending injury, and and you could just feel the, I don't know, you could feel the the gasp around the ground almost, and mm. and I must admit I did have some flashbacks of that um, last night when I was watching it on the television. Um, 
thankfully she was up um, on the on the stretcher and she she looked as though she was smiling after the game. So so fingers crossed that um, the uh, surgery on the wrist was successful and and hopefully uh, we can see her make a playing return sooner rather than later. Yeah, very much hope so. Um, it wasn't a bad week, I guess, because if we want to reflect, and let's move into the um, men's team uh, for a little bit, and uh, we find ourselves coming across a, uh, a rare win for Perth Glory at the hands of Sydney, and the key word is away, because we haven't, uh, well, Perth Glory haven't won there for six years. So it was a phenomenal win and a real way to turn it around after a disappointing loss against Brisbane. And then, uh, obviously, that uh, that was uh, preceded by that long layoff uh, due to the uh, COVID circumstances. And it had to be Branners, didn't it? Open the scoring against his his former team. It was it was kind of written in the stars, wasn't it? It was uh, it was actually it did it did look a scruffy goal at, at first view, but it was actually a very coolly taken finish. Mm. It, there, there was a lot of balance involved in that in that finish to be able to put it where he did um, in the goal at the time. So um, I, I thought that was a little bit of an underrated finish, even though it wasn't the prettiest when we were watching in in, in live time, but. Um, yeah, from a glory perspective, obviously wins are super. Obviously, is the more wins that you can get while you're playing on the road, and I think we said this before uh, Christmas when we were under the assumption that possibly the glory were going to come back. That any wins on the road for glory were going to be bonus wins, essentially ahead of what would hopefully have been a long stretch of games. But uh, it doesn't. It seems that the hopes of playing home games are becoming less and less likely. Now, that can all still change. Of course, we're talking mm. as of today. Uh, there's no home games forecasted or scheduled for the glory at this very moment. Um, so they are having to do it tough, that's for sure. But wins like that can only help to boost the morale. And, and obviously, as well, um, the key for them is just to stay in and around that top six mark. At, at, this, at this stage, in my opinion, I think... Given the circumstances that they're currently in, they've obviously had to go back for a second time. If they can just hover around that finals mark, hopefully later in the season get a couple of home games and stay in, and stay in the mix, they've certainly got the quality of player to, to test some of the better teams in the league, from what I've seen anyway of the opposition. Just reflecting on that game, I'm just having a bit of a look at the stats now. 10 shots to 6, 3 on target to Sydney. 10 shots, 3 on target for Sydney. 6 and 4 on target for Perth. It's suggestions that it was a little bit of a smash and grab, but I don't recall the game being like that. I thought that, uh, that Perth was, was in control for decent periods of the match. Yeah, I don't feel it was a. I don't feel it was a, a smash and grab. I don't feel it was a vintage glory performance either. But I, I certainly think it was a game where both teams really just didn't want to lose it. Mm. That that was kind of how I felt watching it in the first half, anyway. Even though there were some chances um, at, at both ends, there was still that element of let let's not open ourselves up too much. Um, and then obviously in the second half, um, Glory were able to get that goal about ten minutes into the second half. And and then when when Fornaroli sort of seals the game, you know it's you know it's done. But but yeah, it, it, again it's I think we spoke about this in the preseason and there was a little bit of a debate that that we had and you may have had on a previous podcast blame with regards to performance and and style mm. and 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 tangible improvement in terms of that facet of the game but for me given the circumstances now that's completely changed it's all mm. about results and they've yep. they've just got to come by hook or by crook blame not not just for um 
the league position, but also for the morale as well, given the circumstances that are at play. Yeah, very much agree. And and, and I just want to shout out as well um, that the glory of being, obviously, they, they've they've been very active in terms of the media. You've obviously had Alex mm. on um, on a men's and women's throat. Mm. Tony Pinard has always stepped up to the plate as well yep. to answer questions when 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 requested. Um, the players have put themselves front and center as well for interviews and things like that, and that's not always easy when you're when you're on the road and you're in the circumstances that you're under. So I think a massive props to the club for for making themselves available to talk on these matters and and fingers crossed, like we said with the women, that we can get them back at home soon for some home games towards the end of the campaign. Uh, plenty of uh, I'm just going to bring this up because it's something that I'm not sure about, uh, Tommy, and that is whether some of the East Coast clubs and I guess um, the league and, and that really understands some of the, uh, I, I guess, sacrifices that are being made by, and this we can open this up to a, a, a more broader sports discussion, but particularly the sides from Western Australia and New Zealand to make sure that the integrity of these competitions can still go ahead. We're not see, we're not hearing too much about from the East as if it's just business as normal. I definitely think there was an element of that last season as well with Wellington, yeah. um, who, who have arguably have had to, to do this for longer than the glory. So, um, look, I, it's a tough one to answer. It's it's hard to really comment on, on what other teams and what other media are saying on a broader scale. Um, I think there is obviously that underlying appreciation. And at the end of the day, the most important appreciation comes from the league. It comes from the from the teams and obviously from the players of the other clubs mm. and, and and any talk or any innuendo that's coming out of the media side of things, I think is kind of irrelevant. The season just has to get away. And, 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 and also by the same token, I'm not sure you want to be sort of crying wolf or, or looking no, for excuses. No, not at all. no, not, not at all. And it's not, this isn't meant to be a poor me, but I haven't heard any, uh, uh, I'm pretty media savvy, and I'm across lo- lots of things. I haven't heard anyone mention it is this that, season. So, so is that a gratitude thing that you think is not quite coming uh, out? Just or, the understanding or? about this sacrifices, as I said, there's, there's a human element to this as well. Um, especially when you start to look at the the uh, women's side, where a lot of these players have, have got side jobs, they've got study, everything else. They're not making a full time career out of football. So to have to pack up their bags and go and put their whole life on hold for a part-time job, I haven't heard anyone talk about it um, or recognise that. I have heard a, I have heard a little bit of commentary on that. In fairness, um, I think a lot of that more comes from the women's media side of the mm. game. So some of the various women's women's podcasts, like the the Beyond Ninety. Um, crew and and, and the um, and the far post women's it's podcast a good name. as well. It's a top name for um, a podcast. I, I think I think they have highlighted um, these conversations um, on on a more regular basis in terms of in terms of the women's side of mm. things. Anyway, but but there's definitely an ele- an, an element of that, and I think that's also you touched on it before on a broader scale we're obviously a football podcast but mm. obviously we look at the scorchers we look at the wildcats we look at Matty Ebden as well um yeah. the tennis player as well so Perth Link Perth Links haven't played a game in home for 2 years yeah so yeah 
Bit of perspective. Yeah, I get that as well. Uh, let's get back onto the topic. That is the Perth Glory Men taking on uh, Western Sydney tomorrow. So tomorrow being Wednesday, uh, if you're listening to this on a Wednesday, of course it's tonight. Uh, COVID has gone rampant through this squad. Uh, Richard Garcia has said today, no Bruno Fornaroli, no Brandon O'Neill, no Daniel Sturridge, no Mitch Oxburgh, Jack Clisby also out of that side. So... The word is they are struggling to put a side together. So we put it, I put a cheeky tweet out that if uh, if anyone's heading to the game um, over in Sydney, any Perth fans, take your boots along with you because you just never know if you get a call up. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it's another challenge that the Glory are facing up to. Um, it's a game against a Wanderers team, and we'll come on to them in a minute mm-hmm. with the changes that they've made, but in the current form that they were in and obviously with the glory coming off a win over Sydney FC, there would have been maybe a little bit of confidence that they could have gone and recorded a back-to-back, some back-to-back wins. But um, look, it's going to be another, another challenge for the glory. Challenges do provide opportunity though. Mm. And we've seen particularly in the FFA cup game with Melbourne victory earlier in the Sydney, that there are some young players there who are capable of stepping up and, and maybe that chance will be there for them to shine um, once again, um, but obviously, needless to say, when you're missing O'Neill, Fornaroli, Sturridge as well, even though we've seen him in limited minutes this season, um, that that's not easy. And um, and obviously, they are going to be up against it. But that they they come off a win last week, and 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 that confidence that they should take from that performance shouldn't, or from that result in particular, shouldn't be underestimated. So there's a few questions, Tommy. Um, the big one for me is, well, there's two. Who plays up front? What kind of formation do we see us playing? Obviously, you've got Andy Kyo is probably the likely incumbent, mm-hmm. uh, considering there's no Bruno Fornaroli, no Daniel Sturridge. Does he start up front with Sardinero? Do they play one up front? So they can bulk that midfield, considering they're going to be. They've lost uh, Brandon O'Neill. There's no Mitch Oxborough. There's no Luca Bodnar. Yeah. So in in the first game against Adelaide, um, they played with with Andy Keogh up front, didn't they? And and Bruno Fornaroli, who was seemingly just off him. It wouldn't surprise me to see Keogh play up front again mm-hmm. on his own. And maybe someone like possibly a Daniel Steins may be able to play just just in behind um, Keo because because Steins is a player who is industrious. He does get around. He does have that quality on the ball as well. So, so he's maybe an option. Otherwise, like you say, they could they could roll with with playing Sardinero on a flank and and maybe maybe Anthony Burke Gilroy is someone who can play on the opposite side. So you may be able to play with with a front three. So 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 Garcia will still have a couple of ways that he can go about it. Obviously, a lot of that's going to be dictated by the players that he has available mm. to him. Um, but I'm but I'm sure that given the trying circumstances that Glory do find themselves in, they would have contingency plans for various players being out over across periods of the season. And obviously, um, Daniel Sturridge hasn't played a lot of games this season. Brandon O'Neill missed a period of the campaign as well. Um having been back in Perth mm. for the birth of his child. So they, they've gone without those players already. Yes, the volume's a little bit higher this time, but I'm sure they have those contingencies and players who can step up possibly. Uh, Summer Malik is another option to come into a CDM slash CM kind of role there. Um, left back, 
Jack Clisby out. Does Josh Rawlins come straight into left back? Ooh, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Well, Ota, we've also got Ota, and um, we haven't heard, obviously he didn't play in that game against Sydney. Yeah, he, he would be the logical replacement if you if he were to be available. I'd think to play on that left side. Yep. Uh, so where who plays left wing then? Who do you push up that park on that left side? Uh, do you push Ota up and then have Rawlins in behind him? Again, it depends on how you, how you want to go about it. I think he could possibly play that, like we were saying before, maybe that three up front with Sardinero left wing, uh, Fornaroli central, maybe Burt Gilroy right, wide right, and then you put three in the midfield. Um, as I say, you may have Steins playing just, just in front of a midfield two, mm. whoever that may be, and then you've got Osa at left back in, and, and the rest of the back four may follow on. Possibly. Uh, let's talk about that, the West Indy Wanderers. That's if all those players are available. Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, we're, we're still a little bit on the unknown about that as well. Uh, let's talk about the Western Sydney Wanderers. A big week for them. We talked about whether Carl Robinson was good enough. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Uh, that got found out in the week. They decided to part ways with um, uh, Carl Robinson. Um Still, though, Tommy, there's a lot of Western Sydney Wanderers fans that think that the problems run a lot deeper than where the coach is at. Yeah, and I think that assumption is pretty fair given their recent history. I mean, that the last four seasons, is it now? This is the fifth season where they're looking likely to finish outside of the top six or outside of the finals places. Um, I think they finished seventh, eighth, Ninth and eighth, I believe, in the four previous seasons, mm-hmm. and uh, since Popovich departed, they've had uh, Josip Gombau. Um, they've obviously had Robinson, and um, they also had uh, oh somebody else in between, uh, Babel, yep. of course. Um, yep. So they've had a few managers who've come in and have presided over that team, and they've the, the changes in 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 management um to still not be able to get results and i mean i was having a look at that wanderers team and it, it does look like a very unbalanced team but there are some talented players in there blaine the likes of terry antonis the likes of uh dimitri petrados uh, steven yugarkovic um tom Hemed as well there, there's there's some good caliber players in that team but for whatever reason um either the squad that's been built doesn't have the balance and doesn't have the components in other areas to be able to perform to its optimum level. Um, or it's something that's deeper rooted because they, they've changed the coach multiple times now and the, and the same results are seemingly there. And I must say, Blaine, I, I don't know what your reaction was when you saw what the score was on the weekend, but Brisbane raw three Western Sydney Wanderers nil. That was, that that was something where I almost had to do a double tape and take and confirm that what I saw was actually the right result. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I, well, it was just the killer blow for Carl Robinson, wasn't it? And and so it should have been. Um, many Western Sydney fans. Well, I mean, let's let, let's be brutally honest. They're probably the third or second or third biggest club in Australia. So to be copying a a result like that and a season after season, I guess that they have had over this last few years then many western sydney fans are just yeah had enough and their crowds are reflecting it too i mean yeah. they're not the not the bouncing crowds that we once saw at, at Parramatta stadium he had like he had last season as well to to, to figure this yep. out as well and he what he was backed um with with signings as well so 
uh, yeah, it, it, is, it is seemingly a more deep-rooted problem, and, and we touched on it just before Christmas as well, um, when the sort of reports emerge of former players coming out and, and criticising the club's culture. Um, that does suggest that something broader is at stake, and, and regardless of whatever you think of Robinson as a coach and what he puts together on the pitch, um, the, the reality is, as you say, the Wanderers are... Um, one of the bigger clubs in terms of their potential mm. and in terms of the area that they're from and the, the resources that they do have. Um, they are one of the biggest clubs in that aspect and they've not delivered for four or five seasons now and that's that clearly runs deeper than a coach and a playing squad. Um, Mark Rudan to come in and see out the season. Um, how often do we see, Tommy, the fact that a coach gets sacked and incoming coach comes in and has a, has a win straight off the bat? I hope you're not. Uh, I hope you're trying to put the mockers on 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 Redan for tomorrow night, Blaine. I hope that's what you're trying to do. But uh, we see we see it all too often, though, don't we? We see it all too often. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate timing, isn't it? If we're looking at it from a from a glory lens, as, as we do. Um, I, I, I'm interested. I mean, uh, you you could tell on the social media reaction yesterday that the. Uh, the view of having Rudan as, as head coach was certainly a mixed one from the from the one from Wanderers Twitter anyway. It was certainly interesting to read through some of the tweets. Um, the the jury's still kind of out on on him for me. He he obviously guided Wellington to a finals position um, in his first season as a coach, which given they were out of the finals for a few years previously was probably an, an okay marker of progress. And then he took the two years at Western United after that, and and and. It, it was kind of mediocre, even though they had Bessart Barisha scoring a freak number of goals in one season. I think he got 20 goals in mm. one of the seasons and and they reached a, a final and, and went out pretty limply. So uh, look, the jury's still out on Rudan for me. Um, he has shown the odd flash, I suppose, and I'm sure that's what Wanderers will be hoping he can deliver. But the interesting thing for me, Blaine, and this is what I, I wanted to ask you, is he's been appointed on a six-month contract, which is seemingly to me almost an audition. So... What what incentive is there for Rudan to try and change things up in terms of playing younger players if he's if he's only there for six months? Well, Surely it's all about getting results now. So you're going to be essentially churning out the same players with very little wriggle room to change too much, other than you're going in there and hoping that a different voice is going to get an impact. So that's that's solely what you're trying to do. Surely, um, it was an interesting appointment. We don't usually see a coach come in that quick. Well, a new coach from outside the football club come in that quick. We usually see an interim. That's usually the assistant or something. Let's see the season out, and we'll reappoint one in the new season. So I, I think that's what everyone expected that Gary Van Egmond would take yep. the job for the rest of the season, maybe bring through a few young players, and then you make your new appointment next season. But it's a different approach, and, and it's one that certainly caught caught a lot of people off guard. I think. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, that game is on Wednesday um, or today, if you're listening tomorrow. Wednesday, the third. It'll be. Um, as far as sorry, the second it will be as far as that kickoff four forty five on um, Wednesday the third. So no matter when you're listening to this, you'll know when that game is. Um, we talked about a team that hasn't been living up to standard. We're going to talk about another one very very soon. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to go through what the hell is going on with the Matildas. It's all going to happen after this. 
If you're as passionate about the A-League as we are, you won't want to miss a second of this season's action. And the easiest, quickest, and best way to catch every game from every angle is with the A-League Live app. Simply search A-League Live or Sportsmate in the Apple or Google Play stores. Yeah, welcome back to the Weekly Wrap, presented by the Far Post Perth Podcast. Blaine, that Tread Gold and Tommy Dolman with you on this bit of a balmy Tuesday evening. It's all right. Summertime, we know there's plenty of football. Uh, there's plenty of international football happening as well. It wasn't a great week for the Matildas. It's something that we've really got to talk about, and I'm not too happy about it, Tommy, about the way that it all went down. I want answers. I want accountability. Are we going to get it? Um, I suppose it depends on what the source of the accountability is, Blaine. What, what, where, what do you think the source of the accountability is, What's and where that needs to come from? Does that need? Does it Football Australia? Is it Tony Gustafson? Is it the players? It, or is it a, a combination of everything? Do you it's 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 a combination of a few things. I think primarily it's Tony Gustafson. He's he's the skipper. Of, you know, he's at the helm, so to speak. He picks the team. He picks the players, he sets the tactics, he picks the formation. Uh, a bulk of the responsibility has to lie uh, with him. Um, and he said that in his post-match press conference that he was to blame for it. So there needs to be questions asked by Football Australia. There needs to be questions asked by the media. Um, and, um, yeah, we need to see if, if he's the right man and we need to make decisions very, very quickly if he's the right man to take us to 2023. I think we need some clarity on the situation. I think if I would be surprised if Gustafson did depart. I think to to get rid of your coach eighteen months out or or a year out before a World Cup on home soil would be well. I don't know. Would it be detrimental or would it not be? It certainly doesn't look particularly good to be almost starting again, and particularly once now that the Olympics and now that the um, Asian Cup have subsided. You're looking at the Algarve Cup and you're looking at some various friendlies and some um, Asian qualifiers possibly that are coming up on the horizon. But um, other than that... The, the, Can it the, get any worse than six wins out of 20? Um, no, that that obviously doesn't look good on the face of it. Um, I, I don't think anything's out of the question. I'm not, I'm not trying to defend it. Mm. I'm just trying to say that... Um, Optically, what what does that look like to be sort of rip, ripping up the blueprint and and going going and starting from scratch again? Um, to me, to me, there's been a little bit of a lack of identity, and I think when I watch the teams I follow and the teams that I I like to watch play football, Blaine, I'm sure you're the same as a as a keen football fan. You want to see. A, a passage of play. You want to see a way of playing. You want to see a style. You want to be able to see what a team is trying to do. And you want to sort of buy into that. And for me, I've not really seen enough of that from the Matildas. I think it's been quite one-dimensional. I think the possession has been... that They have had possession, but it's been quite stale. I don't think there's any sort of purpose to be sort of driving with a bit more intent and a bit more sort of uh, uh, vigour, I guess, at at the opponents. I think it's all very sort of safety-first sort of approach. And and then the complete opposite 
sort of happens when when the struggles do come. The balls just go forward and long to Sam Kerr. And, and to me, that says that there is a lack of control. And I think when you're a team with Australia, with the quality of players and the calibre of players that, that they do have, you should be able to control the game a lot better and you should be able to play with an identity that allows your best players to flourish because there are some great players in that team but we're just not seeing the results pan out on the pitch. And whether that's Gustafsson, whether that's the players, whether that's the style, whether that's something even on a broader scale than that, as we've touched on with the Wanderers, who would know? But these are all questions that need to be answered because we've got a a, a home World Cup coming up in 18 months. Mm. Um, there's a few things. You talk about identity, and they've always been known as the never-say-die Matildas. Now, that's fine when you're a minnow. When you're a top-10 side... I don't think that stacks up because there's something that's going to beat a team that never says die, and that's a smart football team. That's a skillful football team, and that's what we've got. So we're not we're not living up to where we need to be, and it's as simple as that. We need to be super careful about how we go with this, but I think we need to be really, really constructively critical. It was a failure. Oh, I don't. I don't disagree. When you when you take a squad as strong as what you took to India, mm. and when you go there with the intentions of winning the tournament, and when you talk up the theory of of winning the tournament, then the the bare minimum for me is to reach the final. Yep. And then if and then if you lose to and and if you lose to to a Japan in the final, or you lose to South Korea in the final in a game, sim- like let, let's just put it on the record first. The game on. Um, the game against South Korea, the 1-0 defeat, obviously it was a wonderful strike from G late on in mm. the game. The Matildas had a number of chances, particularly in that first half an hour of the game, where they could have scored a couple. The game could have been completely different. So, so this isn't necessarily a reaction, a reaction to that one game in isolation, but there have been signs that things haven't been quite right for some time. And I think that if you put that performance aside and you look back even two games prior when they were playing the Philippines against... Um, well, Alan Stadich's mm. Philippines, who South Korea are incidentally playing in the semi-final of the tournament later this week, um, albeit for the Philippines were were limited with their their quality of players, they played with an identity. They played with full intentions of of frustrating Australia, and I know that's quite an easy thing to do to put players, but behind the ball, but we we didn't see a lot of invention from the Matildas in that game. We didn't see... We saw a lot of direct football. And for the Philippines to hold the Matildas goalless in that first half, for me, uh, was probably more a reflection of the problems rather than necessarily that one game against South Korea in isolation, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, 100%. I've talked about this on, on the many different programs that I've been involved with, and it amazes me that those and the loudest voices that have said we can see this coming have been from outside that particular, I, I guess, the, the inner sanctum, if you like. So, um, uh, and, and, and we saw this time last year, or probably about 10 months ago, there was two very heavy losses to Germany and the, the Netherlands. We lost to Ireland. Yeah, there was a 3-2 loss to the Republic of Ireland. There was 5-0 loss to Germany and a 5-2 loss to the Netherlands. Or maybe those two scores were again were, were the opposite ways around. But they still had five goals put past them by the Netherlands and Germany. So this isn't something particularly new. And, and yes, there was a great result against Great Britain in the Olympics. There was 
a couple of things to take out of that campaign. There was that feel-good factor where the country were really behind them and they were sort of urging them on mm. for that medal. And I think there can be a little bit of that carry-on and and you kind of live in that tournament bubble a little bit like you do when you're in the World Cup where you sort of see things through a positive light only because that's not really the time for an inquest when you're in the middle of a mm. tournament. You sort of see it through those rose-tinted spectacles. But the signs have been there sort of in those in those friendly games and he he tried a few different players particularly in defense um in those games against the USA back in November and again I think they only had one win in those four games against Brazil and the USA as well so as you say the the win percentage isn't very good and and questions do need to be answered and I think the most worrying thing is is the the reaction across the board whilst it's good that we're talking about the Matildas and we are being being critical and we are putting them under the microscope and largely in part because we do want the best for them some of the the reaction has been a little bit disheartening and we saw what the cover, the coverage on channel 10 after the game uh it was all very flat and and you just and make, so it should be and and so it should be but I, I think that this is we really need to see and and you saw that uh, I think it was Steph Catley was speaking after the mm. game she was downbeat as well, and it just makes you wonder uh, if we put the football aside for the moment, the job that it's going to take to to pick the girls up and to pick that uh, women's sort of football community up, um, moral, uh, the morale again, mm. to pick that up again is going to maybe an even greater challenge in addressing the matters on the football pitch. But they do have an Algarv Cup coming up fairly soon, where they are playing against the likes of Sweden, Denmark, Norway. So they do have an opportunity to come back to play games, and that's what you want. After a disappointment, you want to get back on the pitch quickly after. You want to right those wrongs, address those criticisms. Tony Gustafson can take his learnings into something very quickly. But that tournament is that invitational tournament is now more under the microscope than what it probably should have been given the results that happened in India. Absolutely. There are a few mitigating circumstances, and I want to talk about, um, I guess, some of these young players that have been looked at. And there's been a smattering of, of players that have come in. Courtney Vine is, is one. Remy Seamson's another one that's been spotted, and she's done some fantastic thing, things. Uh, there has been some mitigating circumstances. There hasn't been, uh, I guess, a, a underage kind of camp for a long time due to the COVID situation. There hasn't been the young Matildas going away, playing tournaments as they would do. Um, there's, so we, we get that. If you're going to pick from the A-League, why is Tony Gustafsson doing the long distance from Sweden if bulk of his players that he needs to pick to top up this side is in the A-League? Yeah, and I mean, there may be... there. Previously, there may have been COVID factors. That's something you'd obviously mm. have to ask uh, Tony Gustafsson in terms of his methods of, of working. Um, but yeah, they, they, these are all questions that... Uh, whilst you are winning games and whilst you are performing, you can kind of do as you please because if the results are there, then the formula is working. But then when when the issues arise, you, you do have to address them. And I'm sure that's something that when Tony Gustafson does inevitably have the, the post-tournament meeting with Football Australia that he will have to address, I'm guessing. We're not seeing a succession plan, which is, I guess, is also the the real disappointing part. But there's no one to say, um, all right, um, you know, Sally Ann's going to be the one that's going to be put, putting pressure on Caitlin Ford for her, for her position. There's not going to be two or three putting pressure on Steph Catley for her position. Sam Kerr, whoever it might be, Kaya. So who's our second striker? 
Because Kai Simon hasn't been living up to her, her reputation. No, she's um. Because she's, when when Sam, I'm sorry to butt in there, but when Sam Kerr's getting monstered, Kai Simon's got to step up. Yeah, I think the I think the, the support for Sam has been something which is has has lacked, and uh, I, I mean I've I've struggled with why we've not seen more of Haley Rasso in in this tournament either. I think she's the sort of person who, even if you are playing Sam up front and, you, and she is isolated, you still need players running past her. And, mm-hmm. Hay- and Hayley Rasso is someone who is capable of doing that in a wide position. 100%. And, and, um, and yeah, so, so so it's decisions like that that are are, are obviously something that, that are, are lacking at the moment. Um in, ter- in terms of in terms of in terms of what what Tony's sort of methodology is, um, like I say, he's got an opportunity to address some of these in in, in the coming months. But um, but like you say, the, the broader questions still won't go away. I suppose toxic positivity is a uh, phrase that I've heard over the last uh, few days, Tommy. I guess being more of a cheerleader than a coach. We see him on the sidelines wearing his Aussie scarf. We see him come out in press conferences saying things that we wouldn't normally hear from a coach. More on a friend than a coach. Surely we need we need an Australian coach to have that little bit of that fear factor about them, that bit of authoritarianism about them. I don't necessarily think that's always true because I think... We see it all the time in world football. It's not just isolated to, to the Matildas or mm. women's football or men's football. Um, the, the coach obviously has to answer to the media, but obviously what is said behind closed doors is always different. And there's a difference between hanging your players out to dry in front of the media um, and, and and obviously playing the diplomatic line as, as, as Tony did and, and sort of putting the responsibility on him. And that's what. And I think if you look at most leagues and most teams and most competitions around the world. I think most coaches um, will do that. I know from from my team, Leeds, Marcelo Bielsa, he he never puts one thing on the players, win, lose or draw. It's all on him. It's that he's not found the solutions. It's that he's not found the right approach in the game. It's that he's um, not gotten something right against the opposition. And I think that there's definitely, in terms of the management of the players and their morale, I think it's. I don't think it would be wise for any for any coach to dig out their players as such. But, but again, we don't know what's said behind closed doors. But I, I think Tony was very much playing the the media um, savvy answer with that with that way of approaching it. Mm. Interesting. Um, we're going to have to keep tabs on this and where it goes looking forward. We do know that he is going to have to front Football Australia, and there will be, a, I guess, a bit of a please explain about the state of that team at the moment because, uh, yeah, it's not where we need it to be. What, what do you want to see happen, Blaine? What what, what 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 time frame are you putting on a decision to be made here given that we are 18 months out? We're not 18 months. We're less than 18 months, aren't we? What are we? What, July month? 23? July, June, is June Okay, so, yeah, yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah, okay, I'll take that on board. Um, what would I like to see happen? Well, I'm not going to tell Football Australia whether he should stay or go, they either need to back him in 100% now or they need to cut him free now. There can't be this, oh, let's see how you go in a couple of months' time. We need or it's, let, it's the clarity, isn't it? Yeah. It's the clarity. Yeah. The, the, the clarity needs to be be had, not just for the for, for him, for the players yeah. and, and for, for, for the football fans who, who simply deserve to see 
better performances than what they saw in the Asian Cup. And many many fans have still got many people within football have, have still got a gripe about what happened to Alan Stadic. That's never been addressed. Um, no, and we're going to go dig up a bu- bucket of worms if we do this, but uh, you know that needs to be mentioned in the same conversation. I think yeah, it does, but we, we'll probably leave that to the yep. side for, 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 for obvious reasons, and we'll just focus on this tournament in in particular. But uh, look, there are always political things that, that do happen in in football, mm. and, and I think we should probably leave that in there from a diplomatic stance. But <laughs> but obviously, but obviously, everybody has their own opinions, and and if we're just laying it bear out on the table and I think most people do agree that a quarterfinal um, elimination at the Asian Cup wasn't a pass mark. Absolutely not. Let's talk about more green and gold um, and that's a side that's stabilised, shall we say, the Socceroos. They did have a good a 4-0 win over Vietnam. Wasn't comp- It wasn't a great Performance. It was a good performance. I thought they did enough to be able to get through against a side they should have got through against. Four in the bag. Um, Tommy Rogic, absolutely superb. Good to see Craig Goodwin uh, get on the score sheet as well. And, uh, yeah, just not in a bad position and certainly not leaving anything, I guess, to chance and making sure that, look, if they don't get through, then it's uh, it's going to be their own doing. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Blaine. I, I don't think it was the Socceroos... Best performance, their most fluid performance. I thought the a couple of the individuals in particular were excellent, um, but I think it was just more of a confidence boosting win that one. I think it was you, you you get a couple of players on the score sheet. Jamie McLaren was in the goals. Nice to see Craig Goodwin and Ryan Legrigi say come on and and, and score for their country as well. Um, so there were some green shoots there. Um, Vietnam weren't weren't really up to much as you as you as you rightly highlighted. They did have a couple of chances though at the start mm. of the second half, and they did look dangerous for about ten minutes, um, uh, fifteen minutes either side of the break. So who knows if they do um, if if they did take that chance where Matt Ryan basically stood there and it hit him in the shoulder, then we could have we could have seen a nervy end to that second half. But um, yeah, look and and a great crowd as well in in Melbourne out supporting superb that, that superb atmosphere, well. wonderful yep. to see. So. Um, yeah, it was it was truly it was it was a good night for the Socceroos all around in terms of uh, what that game in isolation meant in terms of getting the result for for greater things ahead. Um, but obviously, as you know, with World Cup qualifying, they usually comes in come in blocks of two games, and that result doesn't mean a thing if they can't get the job done against Oman tonight. That's right. Uh, McLaren on the score sheet. Tom Rogic superb. He got a goal for himself. Craig Goodwin and Riley McGree. Uh, Riley McGree, I should say, saw that four nil uh, batter ring. Sixteen shots to eight, seven on target for the Australians to so just two on target for the Vietnamese, 61% of possession, um, over 200 more passes, so they were certainly dominant across the, across the pitch. Let's have a bit of a look at the table, uh, Tommy, because it does get interesting. 19 points, Saudi Arabia lead the way, Japan 15, Australia 14. The big game tonight is Australia against Oman, but also Japan taking on Saudi Arabia. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at this, Tommy, and it depends on who you speak to. Some people want Saudi Arabia just to run away with this group now, make it go down to Japan and Australia. Um, others have said, look, a Saudi uh, Japan draw 
might be a little bit better. But I'm not too sure. What I do know is a win tonight is a must against Oman. It'll knock Oman out of the out of the frame. They're pretty much done anyway. But it'll certainly just put the uh, put the nail in the coffin. And uh, how are you seeing these th- these games play out? And what is the ultimate kind of result? Considering also that um, Australia does have a five goal dot goal difference over Japan as well. Yeah. So Australia's last two games after the Oman game are Saudi Arabia and Japan. Saudi Arabia away, Japan at home. Um, As you said before, Saudi Arabia currently four points clear at the top of the standings. If they beat Japan tonight, they go seven points clear with two games left, which which means they are going to be through. They they are going to be through uh, most likely as the group winner, and then it would be a straight shootout between Japan and Australia. Now, for me, I think if Saudi Arabia win tonight and Australia can also get the job done in Oman uh, in the later kickoff, then you've basically set up a game where Australia are at home against Japan and a win will take them through to the World Cup in that second place. So that for me is the optimum situation and then you don't have to worry about that final game in Saudi Arabia. I think with the way that the group pans out, I think a draw wouldn't probably be be the best result either because I think if even if, uh, if Australia win tonight, if they can get the job done, uh, whether Japan lose or draw, Australia would still go above them and it would still be the same net result going into that game in Sydney against Japan. So, um, look, for me, the favourable option would be that there is a draw or a Saudi Arabia win and then you just back yourself to win the game at home and and hope that you can get it done because I think Saudi Arabia's other game is against China and I think Japan's other game in the group is at home to Vietnam. Mm. So you've got to assume that they're going to both win those games um, and, and and that basically you've got to focus on the next two rounds if you're a, if you're looking at it through a Socceroos lens. Yep, interesting, interesting. It's going to be a beauty. It is tonight. Uh, that is Tuesday going into Wednesday at midnight. So... Um, yeah, this might be your uh, your bit of your pregame listening if you if you're out there and you want to have a bit of a listen uh, to this before the Socceroos. I'll try and get it up uh, in time for that being uh, Tuesday evening. We won't embarrass ourselves with hindsight predictions. No, just just bloody win. Yeah, that's that's all it comes down to. Um, difficult conditions over in Oman. I was um, I haven't checked uh, checked what the forecast is, but it's always a little bit. Um, little bit difficult, Tommy. Um, they don't make it easy for us over there. Yeah, and, and the conditions in the Middle East are always difficult. It's it's part it's a part of Asian qualifying that has and still does pose the occasional problem t- to the Socceroos. And the games, often because of the heat, aren't the prettiest. They're often challenging. They often require a lot of a lot of fitness and a lot of um, mental strength as well, I suppose. But um, and, and and of course as well with the humidity that the, the the quality of football on show isn't always the the, the greatest either. But um, look, this is part of what we signed up to when we when we moved into Asia from from mm-hmm. Oceania, and um, it, it's something that that that's part of the challenge. And and more often than not, Australia have managed to get the job done. But obviously, as it gets to the cutthroat period of the qualifying campaign, these games become even more important. Uh, looking between, uh, you, you're looking at about 25 degrees tonight uh, during during the match. So uh, about 44% humidity, maybe a little bit of a slight breeze. So not too unhumid, uh, not too un- uncomfortable, I should say, 
um, compared to some other times that we've had to play in the, in the Middle East under some real horrendous conditions. So hopefully we can get the job done. And uh, obviously, if we're taking a few boys out of the A League, they'll be used to this hot weather and hopefully fairly conditioned to it. Uh, uh, touch wood uh, with that one, uh, Tommy. That just about wraps us up, mate. I think. Uh, we were going to go through uh, a bit of night series, but we've run out of time, so we might wrap. Uh, we might talk a little bit more about the night series, a bit more MPL previews uh, next week, if that works. Yeah, absolutely. There was a couple of uh, wild results at the weekend. We should mention that there was a seven-three win to uh, Sterling Macedonia against Florida Athena. That was probably the most eye-catching result, but uh, especially in pre-season when players are still coming to fitness and playing on on limited minutes and so on and so forth, it's probably better to wait and get a uh, a more suitable sample size. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Uh, Tommy, thank you very much as always. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to everyone who supports us on the various platforms. Don't forget, you can keep in touch via social media, Facebook, Twitter. You can also join up as a Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Perth. I think is the way to go about that. But uh, thank you to everyone who has already jumped on there we really do appreciate your support big thank you to Sportsmates, and um, they are proud supporters of us here at the far post perth so we're proud supporters of them as well and if you want to keep up to date with everything to do with the a league uh jump on the uh, the apple store or the google play store and you can uh, simply search up a league app by Sportsmate, and you can keep up to date with everything that's happening across the a league and the various other football leagues great to have you on board with us We'll catch you next time. Till then, enjoy football. Mm-hmm.